Hello, my name is Jennifer. Welcome to Stories for the Earth podcast. This is episode 19. I'm here with my co-host Ellen. Hello, everybody. Um, we Today we are going to have a discussion of the book Roots, Branches, and Spirits by H. Byron Ballard. Yes. Um, and we are- title the folkways and witchery of appalachia that's right um it is her latest latest book some beautiful cover art i just love it so much we're going to start out with a just a brief discussion of the book and um this is oh before i do that we are um so um, I have an apology. Um, this book, Braiding Sweetgrass, which we mentioned like several episodes back, um, I was calling it Braiding with Sweetgrass. So I just want to put a correction onto that because it is actually called Braiding Sweetgrass. Um, awesome book. Please check it out. I'm sure we will be doing this book at some point because it's oh, yeah. amazing. Um, so. Now, back to your regularly scheduled program. Okay. <laughs> um, so, um, according to Amazon, this is the description. The Southern Appalachians are rich in folk magic and witchery. This book explores the region's customs and traditions for magical healing, luck, prosperity, scrying, and more. Author H. Byron Ballard, known as the Village Witch of Asheville, teaches you about the old ways and why they work from dowsing to communicating with spirits. Learn the deeper meaning of haunt blue doors, magic hands for finding and medicinal herbs and plants. Discover tips for creating tinctures and salves, attuning to the phases of the moon, interpreting omens and other folk ways passed down through the generations part cultural journey and part magical guide, this book uncovers the authentic traditions of one of North America's most spiritually vibrant region. Pretty big, but pretty good summary. I agree with all that from having read the book. <laughs> <laughs> and a little bit about Byron. Uh, she's local here. Uh, she's a teacher, a folklorist, and a writer born and raised in Western North Carolina. She served as a feature presenter at Sacred Space Conference, Southeast Wise Women's Herbal Conference, and Glastonbury Goddess Conference, and has spoken at Harvard and the University of North Carolina. Ballard is senior priestess and co-founder of Mother Grove Goddess Temple and the Coalition of Earth Religions for Education and Support. And she writes a regular column for Sage Woman Magazine and is the author of four previous books. And she lives uh, just uh, down the road a piece here. We're going to start with some quotes about like what this book is about and why she she says that she has written it. In this book, I concentrate on the folk ways I know and practice. If you choose to make your way along with me, you'll find the voyage ragged and the wayfaring signs may not be entirely clear. But in the end, you will know something of this land, its history, and the folks that dwell here, whether in body or spirit. I think of myself as a forensic folklorist, a person who reads between the lines of legends to discover the truth of the myth within. I think that's like the most awesome self-designation somebody could give. It's just like, ah, yes, the forensic folklorist. 
Yes. Sounds mysterious and powerful. Pretty definitely. Cool. Um, it's a good. It's a good. Like, I, if I were to try to describe myself as something other than person, um, <laughs> I, I think I'd have a hard time doing that. And then she also, which we didn't put a quote on, she also later describes herself as. Um, so you've probably heard of the song catchers, where people like. Um, came to this region to collect the songs um, and study their origins because a lot of the folk songs here um, had their origins in like Scotland and all that stuff. Europe, yeah. And um, so they were called song catchers. Well, she describes herself as a spell catcher because she sort of studies and collects like spells and, you know, and their history and how they've changed over time. So that's a that's also another title that she's given herself, which is also just as cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, we will explore one of the most beautiful, misunderstood and abused regions of North America, our region, Appalachia, myth and history, heart and hands. For this region is old and new, a renewed weaving of an old coverlet. Perhaps I can tempt you into the sheer joy that is this vibrant and misunderstood culture and engage you in a renewal of its old folkways in this new news, that probably was new and troubled world, put news. <laughs> um, for my purposes and the purposes of this book, I will focus on my own flavor of this Appalachian buffet, the piece of that that claims me, at least partially, in the piece I know best, but I will, hap but I will happily sparkle, sprinkle what I know of all the other flavors so you can have a taste of them. I'm an urban homesteader, a gardener, a subsistence farmer, and what old timers would have called a good eater. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, she's saying that she's gonna focus on the things that she knows. Speak to your strengths, that makes sense. Yes, mm -hmm. there's a lot, and then there's a lot of pieces that make up the whole picture of the area. You know, she's, uh, I follow her online and she's always posting insightful reflections and sometimes some funny things and sometimes stuff where she's just clearly, you know, frustrated about the misconceptions that still so often permeate the larger American culture in relation to stereotypes of people from the South or people from the Appalachian region specifically. And um, she, she shared uh, yesterday I stumbled across an article um, wherein somebody was talking about how the stigma against the Appalachian accent needs to just go away, right? I mean, like different cultures have accents and we sh shouldn't shame people for sounding a certain way. It has no bearing on their intelligence inherently, you know? Um, and the article was really well written, but it's it was interesting timing because just before I found that, just before I saw her post the article and read the article, I happened to be watching something where a commercial came on and it was like a commercial for a fast food restaurant or something. But everybody in, in the commercial had the more classic uh, Southern drawl, which um, might escape us a little bit more compared to yeah. other folks down here. But, um, but you know, we know it and, and people would know it if they heard it and it, it struck me because it's like this light bulb went off where I was like, Oh my gosh, upon hearing it, I realized you never hear that in commercials. So it was kind of cool because it was like the first example of like, 
it being normalized into the mass of society. I mean, fast food commercial, whatever. But still, I mean, the point is, it's like, look, here's people. It's just a family going about their business, and this is how they talk, and that's fine, you know. And and it was, you know, that's how it was presented. Matter of fact, and I thought, well, that's pretty cool because maybe it shows that that all the work and the effort that people like Byron are putting out there um, to destigmatize, yeah that kind of stuff is, is working, you know, which is pretty cool. That, that would be really cool. I mean, I remember, so, um, you know, my, my family moved here about 30 years ago. Um, and I was nine, um, and we was Yankees, (laughs) um, from Brooklyn, New York city. Um, so I just Ooh, remember, culture shock. <laughs> well, it was, it really was. Um, and it took me a minute to get used to everything because everything was new. Of course, once I did, that was it. Like, I was just like, okay, um, you know, um, I really did feel like, um, you know, I got adopted by the region and the people and um, I just yeah, nine's a good age to get brought into it. You know, that's like such an age of wonder. You know, yes, you're open, ready and open to be exposed and kind of sucked into all the natural world you were about to get, you know, dropped into the middle of. <laughs> it's it's really true. Um, I but I remember the like seeing what people from the north thought, you know, in their reaction to us moving here, and also the reaction against, um, to the, the people here, to us being from the north. Um, and I remember in, I was in fifth grade, and, and we were studying urban versus rural, like whether you would live in a city or in the country, everybody raised their hand for living in rural. <laughs> and I was the only one like, I'm going to live in urban, please. That was when we first moved. But there was definitely that stigma coming from the north. The the um, you can you know when you live in New York, you're like New York is the center of the universe, and it's awesome. <laughs> and you know, and I was nine, I had that attitude. <laughs> it's very um, ingrained up there. Very ingrained, right? Like, let's move to the most boring place ever, guys. Come on, like, why are we gonna move here? Like, I just you know wasn't so. I just thought it was boring. And like, and then when we came here, like the people were, cause we're weird, you know, like we're weird. We're from New York. We don't, don't go to church, you know, like we're just very odd. But like, I feel like there was a tiny bit of like, you guys are weird. Okay. But then after that, like there was just real acceptance. And once they accepted us, it was like, okay, you're one of us. We accept you. And, um, and that was real cool. You know, it was like, it felt like the, you know, I, um, we're going to talk about the relationship with the land, but I felt like I formed a relationship with the land, but also formed a relationship with the people here. So I'm kind of adopted. <laughs> I feel like I got adopted into the, into the area. And I think that speaks to the, the spirit of the area and, and the people and, um, yeah. Kind of either, oh welcomes you in with open arms or gives you a boot out the door. And a lot of that depends on how you're willing to, how you're willing to meet it, you know? That is true. And I think we were, you know, I think we were, you know, um, 
had a had a a willingness to accept the area. And my parents literally like bought a hardware store in Weaverville, like an old timey hardware store. And just like, you know, we kept- They were ready to cement themselves they, in there. They were ready. They jumped all in. Like, I don't remember even why they decided to buy it. They were the last owners of Johnson's Farm and Home Supply in Weaverville, if anyone is familiar with that. Um, it is now like Blue Mountain Pizza. It's next to the library. There's some other little shops in there. It's actually a historical building. It's got a little plaque on the sidewalk. And so like, yeah, it was all timey. We had a cat, it was dirty, it was awesome. I used to sit on the dirty floor and pet the cat. We used to play on, we used to sold like, we sold like cement, we sold feed. I We used to like sit after school, we used to literally like sit on the cement in the shed and like hang out. It was just, um, so yeah, we kept the two, we didn't, we didn't make any changes. They, they, my parents, they just came right in, bought it and just like became part of the community and, you know, like wanted to run it as is. And anyway, ah, that's a long story, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, you've started reading an, another book of hers too, uh, right? Yes, I did. I started reading Earthwork Ceremonies and Tower Time. So what is your takeaway so far on, on that? Just just to give a little more flavor to the listeners of what to expect from Byron Ballard. Right. Um, so this is her book before this one and one that we were both interested in um, and definitely one we might also cover in depth. Um, so basically, um, she's, she's talking about in this book how she, over time she's had developed this feeling of she was trying to she's having this feeling of the time we are living in um and she was trying to put words to it like i have this feeling i don't know what it is it's it feels like this time is is special it's different and, and like, like other they, people were kind of like corroborating that like yes. oh yeah there's something weird about this time yeah so it wasn't just her she was speaking to like um other people in her um spiritual circles and her life um and 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 finally she had a came up with a name and she named it uh, tower time she does tarot reading so this is from the tower card if anyone's familiar with tarot you know the tower card it's one of the major arcanas it's a big card it's a um it basically means that like sometimes in life we we build our lives but we build it on very shaky foundations and things that are kind of like maybe we're not living like maybe we're not being honest with ourselves about things um and or maybe we're like in a relationship and then we suddenly realize oh no this is not what i want um not or, healthy anymore yeah, and you and you sort of, or like it could be something that, and you realize, well, I have to, I have to leave this relationship, and it's very destructive, destructive, um, and you, then there's a, so the tower comes down, and then there's this period of rebuilding, and hopefully, when you rebuild the tower, you're building it in a more authentic, authentic life, a life that's better for you and more truthful. But it could also be something very sudden, like the loss of a lo of loved one, or like. Um, 
something outside of your control. Um, so that kind of makes it a, a bit of a dramatic experience. It's, it's dramatic. It, it can be, it's very dramatic. It can be sudden. Um, and it's just like, you literally like feel the tower falling down. It's like, oh, that hurt. Um, and um, although after the tower card is the star card, which is the hopeful card. So I really like that. Um, so she feels sometimes like you gotta, sometimes you gotta get through the, the, the collapse and the rubble to, to build something better on the other side. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could be something with your health. It could be just so many things that you have to make these, it's a huge like tectonic shift. I mean, it's like, you know, like the volcanoes and just all kinds of stuff going on. Um, and I'm sure people who have had this experience know exactly what I'm talking about because it's just, um, so that's what she feels like the kind of the, the collective, time we're living yeah, is a uh-huh. shift, and and it it may it uh, possibly maybe like violent because we are we are trying to um, like separate from these ways that are not working for us and haven't been for a really long time, like patriarchy and probably capitalism and like a lot of these things and how we live our lives, um, the environmental crisis, you know, all this stuff that like, if we need to make changes, it's like, it's like if these systems come down that we're living with right now, there's a vacuum, right? Yeah. So we like, have to be, be prepared to, to just, fill it with what we want. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And yeah. this is sort of a prep work for that. Um, instead of just filling it with the same old stuff, because it's easier to do that. It's, I'll read a, a quote, we are living in times when the top-down and toxic, toxic systems that some of us call patriarchy are in the process of collapse. Because I'm a lifelong tarot reader, the image that returns to my mind again and again is the tower, suite number 16. The vision of tower time has never been solely about collapse, which I want to stress. This is not a gloom and doom scenario. I invite you to explore, explore the next steps, the best step. As the tower falls, it is incumbent on all of us who can act to create what I've been calling circles on the ground, active and well thought out alternatives to what we've come to know. So nice. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so I'm excited to read more. That would have been all ready to cover that one. And then she <laughs> snuck this other one in on us. <laughs> so we like pivoted to read the, the newest first um, in order to, to get her onto the show to interview her. Um, yep. But definitely, it'll be worth going back to check out um, all of her work. Her other books are Stobs and Ditchwater, A Friendly and Useful Introduction to Hill Folks Hoodoo, uh, Osphidity and Mad Stones, A Further Ramble Through Hill Folks Hoodoo, although I believe that one might be currently out of print. I don't it know, is. you might find some local copies in, in some local bookstores around Asheville, but that might be it. Malaprops um, is currently out of it so yeah. I, maybe like a used copy somewhere yeah floating around yeah. online maybe i don't know yeah um seasons of a magical life a pagan path of living that's actually up and coming um later this year that's her next work in in progress um and we'll i'm sure she'll be able to uh excite us about what to expect out of that whenever we have her on the show in a couple of weeks yeah um, she also has one called Embracing Willendorf, a witch's way of loving your body to health and fitness. So, but getting back to roots, branches, and spirits, what did you like best about this book? Um, 
so I really liked how she talked about her home. She's very passionate. She obviously cares a lot about this area and this region. Um, and, you know, um, she, she talked about the way you can feel that you're there. If you, you know, we're here. So we, <laughs> we have, a, I guess, an advantage of already being here. But if you're with someone else, um, I feel like it really brings you here. Um, mm. So, um, and, um, you know, the land and all the magic that, that makes the region. Um, and, um, you know, she's sort of like, welcoming you into her home and giving you tea and telling the story. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I thought that was, that was really great. Yeah, I, I would agree her, her passion for the home place comes through. She's proud of it. Um, she'll step up forthright and defend it. You know, even if it means she's got to be a little tough, um, but she's very welcoming, um, kind of to calling you to the proverbial porch to spend some quality time. If, as long as you're respectful and willing to listen, she uh, she's a good storyteller. What did you like least about the book? Um, so I felt that it didn't for me. I wanted her to go into more depth in certain subjects. The um, the book touches on a lot of themes and we're going to yeah. discuss a lot of them, but, but it doesn't feel like it doesn't go into depth enough for me. Um, um, yeah. You know, it's interesting when you read the, the summary of the book there um, at the beginning of this uh, and you're like, Oh my gosh, it covers this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And it's like, Whoa, that's awesome. And, and it's like, but the book's actually, it's small. It's a, it's a, it's a thin little book, um, you know. Uh, so one wonders how much, so much could be covered. Um, I, I think she, I think she gets you excited enough to delve into a lot of things, um, but she doesn't have the page space to go into it more. Um, and I think, I suspect that the book was written a little bit more as an easy read, like a grab and go introduction kind of to the region for people who might come across it, um, especially since so much of her work is dedicated to trying to destigmatize uh, the Appalachian region and its longtime inhabitants. It makes sense to have something that would reach a broader audience who may or may not have enough patience to dig deeper, you know? Yeah. Um, it kind of clears up some misconceptions. It gives you some fun, personalized bits of history and lore. It might get people excited to want to learn more. Um, and in that sense, I, I think that you and I, having grown up here, might not have been her, her primary target audience in a way. Um, because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I wasn't wholly unfamiliar with a lot of the subject matter. Um, I did enjoy reading her take on it, her own sort of flavor of the storytelling. But it, it definitely every single chapter, I would be like reading the line, I'm like yeah, yeah, oh, that was it. Oh, 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 wait, that was it. <laughs> like more, we must have more. 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 <laughs> um, but I, I think that I think that if it's a a more of an introductory book, I still I think that's good. I don't I don't want. We're not saying I don't think we're saying that that's bad. Um, no, just like we. I'd be curious to know how much this ties in with the others that I haven't read because 
I'd almost wonder if it'd be good to start with this one and then, well, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll know by experiment because I did start with this one and then I'll go back and read the others and be like, oh, okay, here's where I do get more, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the, so, but also the part I didn't know uh, was new to me was more of the folk magic area. So that part I, which I think is what she digs more into and stops and ditch water and that sort of thing. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. I mean, you remember uh, when you and I went to the organic grower school conference one year and she was doing a talk uh, and because it was more plant and farming focused, she did a whole talk on herbs. So she specifically mm -hmm. highlighted some of the herbs uh, used in the region and she talks about all those same herbs in Roots, yes. Branches, and Spirits, so that's cool. Um, there's that tie-in there, but uh, when she had to fill up that, you know, hour to an hour and a half lecture that we saw, she actually got to delve a little deeper into each of those herbs. Um, plus, there was the tactile experience of her, like, passing it around the audience for us to smell yeah. and touch and all of that, which is cool, but, but point being, um, she is very knowledgeable and very good at engaging people, so even if you have the same experience where you pick up this book and just stick to get it, just wish that there was more. It's definitely worth pursuing her to find and get more, you know. And I, and I also, I still, yeah, I, I mean, I still think there's plenty in this book, even if you are from the region, um, you know, because I got to see it through her eyes and my family isn't from here. So that does make a difference, I think. Yeah. So, um, and I do appreciate the having an herbal background. I do appreciate the huge meaty herb section and like how she she does go into briefly how to make some uh, salves and tinctures and and stuff like that. So, um, and then I and I and I think that you know us being sort of steeped in the region, we think well maybe you don't need a more introductory book, but maybe you do, right? Like just um because we still have that stigma and i think mm -hmm. a lot of this stuff is still new <laughs> and, which is yeah. which is the whole thing where she's like it's new and old because we're like <laughs> yeah because i imagine there's a lot of people whose you know generations go back in the area and they don't they they've distanced themselves from this bit of what might be in their own history and yeah. so it's almost like it 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 does have the potential to serve as a guidebook to reinitiate people into their own heritage, even if they're, um, you know, died in the wool locals, you know? Yeah. I mean, she talks about the Appalachian diaspora, which is like people who have, or families have moved away from the region because of work, uh, because of other region, other reasons. And, um, and then she said, where did I read this bit? Oh my gosh. Okay, I was reading somewhere. I don't remember which book it was, but um, she met somebody in like San Francisco or oh yeah, somewhere she was in California. Prince out there. Or yeah, was that in this book? Yeah, some okay near the end, I think. Okay, okay, I was like, where did I read that? Anyway, so she yeah, she met someone from this region over there, and they had a big old chat about it. They carry a fondness for it with them, even if they've gone far away. I mean, my own sister has moved to California, and I can attest to that. She's homesick more often than not. <laughs> I, 
even I if saw, it's just for the rain, you know. Oh gosh, <laughs> yeah. I was in the mountains where there was rain. <laughs> and seasons. It's kind, of, it's kind of bittersweet, you know, uh, reading things like this and hearing the local folk stories. Um, and I think you'd probably agree, because on the one hand, I was born and raised in the region. You, for all intents and purposes, were raised in the region. You know, you came here so young. And so I love to learn more about it. Um, and I know a lot about it just from lived experience. But on the other hand, since my family lineage doesn't trace back in the region, I'm not a true local in that sense. Um, and so I kind of end up sort of perpetually feeling like I don't exactly belong anywhere in particular. And um, But aside from that, uh, it evoked, I think, what she would have hoped for it to do. And that is just that further curiosity of excitement and joy and appreciation for that, for the sense of place, you know, which is, which is nice. It's nice to have that reminder to that. like, you can take ownership of a sense of place, you know, doesn't matter ultimately where you're from, as long as you're uh, taking hold of it with that respect and curiosity and, and joy and really immersing yourself in it. Yeah. No, I, 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 to I totally agree. That's why I feel like I got adopted, you know, and, <laughs> and I remember, I don't remember, even though I felt really strong about like New York and Brooklyn and everything else, I don't remember feeling as strong as I do here because mm -hmm. I think this place, this sense of place is bigger. Like the mount, number one, the landscape, the mountains are, even though like they're the oldest mountains, so they're the lower mountains, it doesn't matter. They still loom very large in the landscape, no matter what anyone's tried to do to disrupt that. And and she talks about all kinds of like, um, you know, mountaintop removal and, mm -hmm. you know, all the mine. The area has been abused. Right. And it's still like the heart and soul still feels like it's still here going strong. What do you feel um, like you learned most from reading the book? So even though the region has been through so much, it's just, it's, it's, it's not broken. You know, it's mm -hmm. still there. The spirit of the place is very strong. And, and also the people that call it home, like, um, and um, I, I also learned you can do magic with anything. You don't need any fancy tools. Um, yeah, that was my, making it accessible was definitely something she's good at. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, the section on candy, where she made these spells with candy. Oh, yeah, it was kind of like her trademark. <laughs> that was real fun. I was like, woo. Um, which I meant to, like, go uh, write down something more specific on that. But um, the candy section is real, is real fun. You know, just basically, like, she talks about gravel. I oh, just, yeah, just, that part was really cool. That part stood out a lot to me. It's just a common thing that everyone knows about. You don't even think about it. Um, and then she she calls it um, the heart and soul of the mountain. You know, she just, just tells you what goes into making it and the importance it has for her and and, and the, the importance in the region and then just a little history about it. And you just don't. It's part of the magic with everyday objects. And so she uses yeah, gravel, which is like feel a sense of wow off of something that would otherwise seem some, so humble, you know, the some, humble gravel. It's just some rocks that we, that we roll over with our cars. So we don't even notice that like, you know, I mean, we had a gravel driveway just. Yeah. You know. And it's like, wait a minute. I just drove over like a 
thousands of years old mountain piece. <laughs> right, exactly. I learned that I want to learn more. Like a lot of right. her introducing concepts, um, she, you know, it might have been things that I already knew, but but I want to know more on. Um, or even if it was new information, it was enough to scratch the surface, uh, want to dig more. Like she brings up scrying as a divination method, but she doesn't go a lot into it in terms of forms and why it's done and where it originates and things like that. Um, so just little things that like piqued my interest but didn't give enough to fully learn from um, has sent me down rabbit holes doing further research myself. Or, you know, it might be stuff that when we interview her later this month, perhaps we could get her to delve further into some of these subjects for mm. our own curiosity <laughs> and for the listener's benefit. <laughs> So who do we think we would recommend this book for? I mean, I'd say it's it's definitely good to anybody, you know, for anybody new to the region who might be just visiting or moving here. Um, anyone curious about folkways in general, you know, add this as another piece of the puzzle to like um, just cultural uh, richness of, uh, of America. Um, any beginning earth religion uh, initiates looking for some interesting practice ideas would probably be inspired by the particular region's perspective that she offers. Um, and then folks who've lived here a long time, like I said, but maybe just didn't realize or acknowledge all of the richness of the region and in their own cultural background, she kind of um, gives them a, a ticket to, to get back into it where, you know, it otherwise might have been lost for them. And I also like thought about this. I thought it would be fun, like as some sort of like supplemental, like quotes and flavor that someone could add if they were like literally doing a research paper on the area for school. Um, yeah, or, it gives a good overview enough to to have a lot to pull from to to do something like that. I, you know, just some sort of academic piece. I thought that would be really neat. And uh, why? Well, because we were pulling quotes, I was like, Oh, this reminds me of college. You know? <laughs> um, so I sort of felt like I was like doing like a sort of some research to a research paper without doing a research paper. Um, but anyway, doing a research talking, talking. Of a, paper. <laughs> a research podcast. Well, and, and you did a good job at kind of summarizing um, the themes from the book. Um, so like one of the themes being the importance of being connected to land and taking care of it. So some quotes from the book that we liked that kind of encapsulate that theme are, um, she said, modern humankind with its intentional quest to be separate from and superior to nature is a disease vector. In our sad and impossible quest to separate from the land, history and people, we lose so much that cannot easily be regained. Yeah, and that, I think that the wake up call. Yeah. And I think our time is because we're getting disconnected people. <laughs> I mean, not getting, we are. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in a large ways we, we are disconnected. So um, I think it's just probably getting worse. And I think that a lot of people are, are looking toward to find some way to reconnect and um, possibly I think this book could help with that for sure. Um, a good opening of the door. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and I like that she's straight up. Like a lot of times she's like, 
no nonsense. I'm going to just tell it how it how it is. And so in these little quotes, she she definitely does. Um, one of my favorite quotes is uh, this one. Broccoli is at least as sentient as chickens. It just ain't isn't mobile. This is certainly my observation of the natural world and invites us to consider our relationship with and within the world. He's like, well, I also think broccoli has a soul as well yeah. as chicken. So, you know, this is all about like how like not how we enter into relationship with other living things in general. Yeah. Yeah. But I love the quote about <laughs> broccoli. At least the sentence chicken. <laughs> is it mobile? <laughs> she goes on to say, it may be hard to understand the love we have for these places, even as we allow its destruction to continue and to feel the grip of the land beneath your feet. You need to cultivate a relationship to it. So that kind of builds on that. It's taking it from that next step from, okay, fellow sentient living beings to sentient earth. Earth? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all the land is connected just as all of everything is the mountains are in friendship with the seas the desert in love with the high prairie as with all in nature this gives humans an opportunity to invoke the overused notion of interdependence we read that word in all sorts of places but continue to see it expressed as an acknowledgement of our group's perceived superiority in the face of other Interdependence is actually about our common vulnerability, not one group's ability to save the less fortunate and therefore lesser neighbors. Appalachian people used to know this and are now in a in the painful process of trying to relearn it. I like that um, the mountains are in friendship with the seas and the desert is in love with the high prairie. Yeah. So all the, re all the regions have you know. an interdependence with one another it just sounds like in this quote she's saying the appalachian people themselves have lost things and are trying to relearn not just people coming into this region learning re relearning stuff from the past the people here are also looking to relearn stuff from their past she says, we may follow the cycle through ritual and ceremony, but for many of us, it's become merely symbolic and the connection is thinned out or broken. Those of us who are urban dwellers can blame our surroundings that there's not enough green in parks and street trees. And we stay inside when we're home from work and we read books and meet our cyber communities through screens. And we dream of intentional communities that we might create someday. Earthen or green buildings, fields of organic vegetables, chickens with artisanal chicken tractors, and neighbors who follow the same basic spirituality that we do. And what could be better? And we continue to live in apartments and condos and once a year attend our favorite summer festival where we dance awkwardly around a bonfire and dream our dreams. <laughs> I think it's dream. I'm sorry. I think it's supposed to be dream our dream. <laughs> oh, that would make a little more sense. I like, dream our dreams is a little like. You know, I was like trying to hold the book open and type, and I was just like, and then I, I guess ream is actually a word, so the the spell yes. check didn't get it in. Um, I think this quote is all about like sort of like we dream all these dreams, but we don't actually do them. And she's saying that we we can. Yeah, I mean, she goes on to say. There's no reason we can't pursue a relationship with the world around us, whether we live in a suburb or an inner city or apartment or a dorm. We can make it real 
the landscape around us, uh, we enter into enchantment that lies under the concrete and that flows from one block to the next, even though it's through the crosswalk. Yes, I had that one this morning. <laughs> That's cool. a good, good uh, wraps it up there. <laughs> right, so like um, I live in an apartment I mean, I'm trying to get a house. Everyone wants to move into this region. So it is actually like the most expensive region to live in in North Carolina. So that's fun. Um, but currently I live in an apartment um, and I have three plants. I have a balcony though, and I have three plants. So anyway, you yeah. can bring that green in. Well, yes, yes. And you can also like do house plants just if you can't like you don't have a garden space um you know and it's just like the whole like symbolism behind the dandelion coming up through the crack in the sidewalk right like or or the or the tree roots like busting up the the sidewalk i love it when it does when they do that you know and it just breaks through the concrete ah, and, yeah. strong. so so it's it's um you know we 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 work so hard to try to ignore it but you know, it's right there. And, and so like, yes, you can have, I mean, even in the cities, there are parks, you know, there's, there's green stuff. Um, and I think that we just need to work on uh, trying to see it more. Mm -hmm. um, of course, it's easier when you live in a, in a place where nature is bigger. Um, it's been a while since I've been to Brooklyn. Um, I've heard it's hip and awesome now. When we moved, it was um, not that way. So um, our block had like zero trees on it, <laughs> but we did live by a park. So um, yeah, so I, I really I really like this quote. It's like, no excuse. That's what it sounds like <laughs> no, in a nice way. Where it is, right? It it just it sounds like it's it's nicely put, but it's, it sounds like the like, and there's no excuse. <laughs> um, okay, so the next sort of themes that um I thought was a theme was sort of this um, region as roadmap, um, back to the time that help us reconnect to the land. Um, so and then that that this. This place has changed, but not as much as other places. It's it's been help be able to help hold on to a lot of what uh, more of the past and more of what sort of makes it a region somehow, even though it's been abused so much. Um, mm -hmm. So um, many people, including those outside the region, oh, okay, sorry, many people including those outside the region, are looking to older traditions of herbal healing, farming, and home and food preservation for clues about proceedings to not only live, but to figure out how to survive in the Appalachian Mountains future. Um, so I think people are looking, I think there's a real interest, and maybe there's a reason why so many people are moving to this area there's a real interest in learning about the past in order to figure out how to proceed. Hmm. Yeah, learning, future. learning history is a good thing. How does, how to like, because we've got a lot of issues that need to be solved, otherwise we're gonna have a lot of issues. It's just in the environmental issues, 
um, or maybe just a better way to live because our everyone's like, well, not everyone, but a lot of people are like overworked, overstressed. These systems we know just don't don't really serve us um, unless you have a lot of money and then, you know, whatever you're <laughs> you don't have to work six jobs or whatever. The next quote is this line is a holdover to another time. One of kindred bonds that are almost unbreakable where blood feuds can transcend generations and where old women carry secret knowledge. Here your mother's mother might hold the mysteries of birthing, healing, and death. Here midwifery is a set of skills held with humility as well as a strange sort of pride. Here women can go into the weedy edges of church parking lot, a tattoo joint, or a fast food parking lot and gather green plants for a remedy or for supper. Side note about that. You should not eat greens that you have collected from the parking lot. If, if you can help it, um, you want to have it be at least 50 feet from any kind of road and uh, just some wild crafting notes there and make sure you know that the land has been sprayed or not. Okay. Uh, but you can, yes, you can find them. These skills are much needed in the shifting chaos of the world. And we will go in search of some of them in these pages as it is made manifest right before our faces, hidden in plain sight. That's nice. Yeah, so that's more about like um, seeing the seeing the dandelion and the crack in the sidewalk and knowing, hey, I can eat that dandelion. <laughs> yeah, it's like, Take it a step further. You're appreciating its resiliency, and then you're also like, "Oh, but this could have bigger meaning, especially in a, in a, in a, you know, a needful scenario." Yeah. But, you know, so that kind of leads into the next theme. Well, I just um, want to identify. Oh, yeah. I just want to say one more thing. Um, I feel like um, I sometimes I get the sense that like the it's like a double. It's like an overlay. Like the area is like. The past is still here. The future is sort of a thin layer on top, and it kind of bleeds through. Like the past sort of like comes up and says, "Hello, I'm still here." Um, so it's a. I'm gonna say like it's just you sort of scrape off that present, and then you can get the what was what's underneath, like a. But there's still like, some richness there. Like a carpet, and then you find the hardwood. Under, underneath it and you're like this carpet sucks <laughs> i mean i mean not all the, the present sucks so but <laughs> but yeah but the carpet wouldn't be there if it didn't have that firm foundation under it oh that is true <laughs> that is true <laughs> so the next theme being resiliency and respect and some good quotes that kind of touch on that are um uh the term she she I don't know if she coined it. I've not heard it anywhere else, but I think it's very apropos. Cultural strip mining. Um, the act of extracting folkways from a culture while returning little or nothing to it. People from outside the culture suck up what they find appealing and find ways to monetize it. And then they just let the rest fall away or die beneath the wheels of progress. The culture gains little from the exchange and gives up its precious materials that leave it weak in some ineffable way. Um, she says, I am of this place, and that is often in sharp contrast to those that have come here in more recent times. My work is about these mountains and of these mountains, and these pages will turn on those traditions. 
The love of this place is wide as well and deep, and new people who understand this land have come to gradually absorb the energy of the region. Some of us are choosing to teach and write about this place in order to mitigate the cultural strip mining and disrespect that uh, might be a temptation for some. To look down your nose on a place where so much is willingly shared is to show yourself ill-mannered, greedy, and small. That's right. You better show some respect. Let that be a lesson to you. Like, right. <laughs> Back down and then, you know, very Southern. It's sort of like polite. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so very subtle. Polite, but very firm. <laughs> so then, and we definitely already touched this magic in every day. Um, the idea of, of using what you have around you. Mm -hmm. um, so in my spiritual tradition, we talk about a veil between the worlds of matter and spirit. We know the power of liminal spaces of being neither here nor there, but betwixt the two. When you're betwixt, you have a foot in both worlds and can move from one to the other. In walking that wibbly line between magic and the everyday, I realize there isn't a firm boundary between the two places. I've begun asking festival goers to stop referring to their daily lives as mundane or mundania in order to re-enchant their everyday lives and the world around them. I've generally remind, I gently remind them that people have been practicing all this witchery for generations and practicing it where they live, not saving up for a special weekend with co-religionists. The work that puts beans on your table may be bank teller, but there's no reason why that can't be infused with magic and attention. I've definitely never hear, heard that term, something called bank teller, but I'm assuming it just means every day. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I guess she's kind of saying like the work that you do might be something quote unquote mundane, like I'm a bank teller. Right. You don't feel that great telling people, yeah, that's what I do, because you're like, that's not who I really am. But she's saying essentially there's no reason why those everyday things can't still be infused with intention and and that's an important lesson i feel like uh i've i've had to uh really make a point to concentrate on in life because if you get too dreamy of oh i wish it was like this and i want it to be like this to the point that you're disassociating from the here and now and what you can maybe have some influence over you're going to end up really depressed. You know, you're just going to end up spiraling into like, Oh, I, you know, nothing's how I really oh, want gosh. to be. Da, 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 da. I'm going to do it now. You lose your agency, you know, you, you lose do. your, your, uh, whatever you're giving your power away, essentially. Um, whatever little bit, whatever little crumb you can hold on to, to infuse the meaning, you know, cause meaning, I don't know. That's a big philosophical debate. Is meaning inherent? In some ways, I could argue yes, but meaning is also relative to your perception, right? So, to yeah. some extent, you have to infuse the meaning into your your day to day. If you know, if if you look and look and look and you can't find it, then then what is it that you're not putting in to gain it? I guess if, if that makes sense. Or you, or you need to try to find things that there are things, I mean, I feel like everybody has things that mean something to them. No mm -hmm. one's just devoid of something in their lives. But, I mean, maybe you feel like that and that's 
being depressed. I feel like when I'm super depressed, I just feel like everything's stupid and meaningless and not worth anything. And, um, but it's not true. I've got so many things around me that, that mean things and, and it, it can be hard, you know, because I, I definitely work at a job where like, there's no windows <laughs> at my work. Um, You're in the underworld. I'm in the underworld. And I really do feel like going back to being betwixt and in the liminal space, I really do feel like I'm in the liminal space in my job, which is really weird because it is completely considered, you can definitely term it as mundane, but yet I work, I work straddling two days. Like I work from 4 p.m. to 12 a.m. So my day is literally like in between two days and I work Yes, I definitely work in this apart place and it's just like a bubble, like a little kind of, I don't know, but um, so no, they didn't paint stars on the wall, on the ceilings of the warehouse, which I wanted them to do. You know, <laughs> come on people, let's put some like Christmas lights up there. No, no, they didn't do that. So, but, but so that, but still like, even when you think about what just what I said about like it being between then it gets to be a lot more magical than I'm just in a warehouse picking orders and stuff like that for people who order online an example of finding a little fragment of of wow factor even in the most you know plodding along situation you were still able to go oh whoa that's gonna Ooh, I'm between two days. <laughs> yeah, like it just, and you really feel it when you, you, you know, you get out of work and, um, or like I can't, like when we're communicating and I'm like, you're like, did you mean this day? And I'm like, oh yeah, no, I don't know what day it is. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I don't even work like Monday through Friday. I work like Sunday through Thursday. So it's just all weirdness. Um, but like some jobs are, are, some, sometimes it's easier to find a meeting and sometimes it's harder. And I've definitely been in a place where it's much harder. Um, I've also been in a place where it's easier, where everything means something. And you're like, whoa. Well, she, she kind of had a good quote that, that sort of grounds that down because she okay. said, these are the basic tools of human beings, whether they practice any kind of quote unquote magic or not. The head is vision, imagination, deep thought, and intention. The heart is the investment of the emotion into the act of creation, doing the job with love and compassion. And the belly is the will, the strength, and the guts to bring the intention to fruition. These powerful tools work for art and parenting and partnering and magic and for everything really. So you got your vision, you got your heart, and you got your will. And, and the gut strength, you know, and it's like people, if, if people can just think of, of that, those inherent qualities in, in humanness as being sources of power, you know, then, a, then a, lot can, a lot can transpire from there, you know, the, the potential is there. And I think, I think a lot of people get caught up where, you know, we're talking about agency, and I think you know, I was working, I mentioned this before, you know, I was working a job and it's like, well, it could be worse. And I was like, well, it could be better. So, you know, it's where you put your energy, where you put your focus. It's like, hey, you know, it's fine to be like, hey, this is how it is right now. 
but it's also like important to be like to realize that this is it could change right like and yeah like, there has to be that openness i guess to like precipitate that something could change right it opens the door right like hey it's not always going to be like this it's going to be different it's going to change it has changed in the past um and like think about what you want like hey i, I want this type of job and you can keep thinking about it and thinking about it and and dreaming about it and and i think that not only does it help you get through like a hard situation um but it puts your focus on the future put your focus on something it just yeah it, it reminds yourself that things can change and it also like helps you recognize when that opportunity comes that yeah. that's it it's like okay that's it i'm gonna i'm gonna jump on that because that's the direction i'm looking for i'm gonna go for that <laughs> you know because we're all like i feel like we're all kind of walking along and we're looking yeah. for those paths you know like where I'm on a path, but I'm in, I need to turn off at this exit. And I need to go here. Need to go there. And it's easier said than done. So I know it sounds easy. I well, know because sometimes when like you're I'm stuck in the process, you just feel like your wheels are spinning and spinning and spinning, and you're all like, I want to do something else, but I just what is I, it? Oh my all, god! And then all, all of a sudden, it'll be like, oh, <laughs> I all can the time. And it's sometimes years. Like it's sometimes mm -hmm. years where I'm just like, oh gosh, I need to get out of here. I need to. I why. I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting and I'm impatient and and I just I'm just like I know what I want to do and be and I can't how do I get there? But also like sometimes life feels like it's got like its own ideas. So you know, things happen that you're just like, okay. Like I mean, or they don't. Like sometimes you have an idea and for some reason it just doesn't happen and you don't know why you're like, okay, I put all this energy into it, but somehow it's just not happening. And then, then you just ask a friend if she wanted to be interviewed and suddenly you have a podcast. So, <laughs> um, um, not that we don't have more work to do on this podcast, but like, it's just like, it's just something that happened and exploded and in ways that has, oh my, like, okay, we're going in this direction then. You know, so sometimes it's not something that you quite intended, but um, but you already were laying the groundwork. You know, you were laying the groundwork for that to become a possibility, whether you were aware of it in at the time or not. You know, that that kind of stuff's always going on in that sense. You know, it's like yes, there's free will and agency, but how much is it that we're just you know kind of doing subliminally? just plodding along and then it's like, you know, no matter what, you're always laying the groundwork for something. So I guess in that sense, it's just a question of um, how much we're capable of becoming conscious enough of it to try to uh, at least have some dictation of where, where it ends up going and so that it doesn't just run away with us. <laughs> I think that's where this, the, the magical folk magic comes in and, and it's a, maybe a, a little more way of, focusing in on what you want and sort yeah, of kind of your way. Yeah, how to get there and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, as her as her final theme brings it all together, I think a lot is the importance of that sense of place. So some good quotes from the from the roots, branches and spirits um, on that, she said, uh, 
I ponder the concept of the spirit of place, of all things being ensouled, each of us rambling betwixt the worlds of matter and spirit. I sat in my yard and looked around. Everything in my view had a soul, a my way of thinking, and was sentient in its own way. And my eye caught a few things that felt like they were leaning in to tell me more or maybe to listen. There's magic inherent in the soil and forest and mass. My thoughts went from one to the other and I found myself straightening my back and listening intently as though feeling that my way to some place I didn't quite know. So you kind of having to allow the time to have it open up to you, you know? Yeah, to just take the time to sit and it's gonna sound hokey, be with nature, form a relationship. I don't, I guess that's mm -hmm. what she's, um, she's trying to, this is maybe, you know, just- Like of, it's there, it's always there. Yeah. If we just pay attention. Yes, yes. And, and, and this is how, one way how she does that. In, enlivening that quote unquote normal everyday stuff of nature. Cause she says, um, soil is tiny bits of stone with rotted leaves and sticks tossed in and carcasses of insects and small mammals with enough water and heat to make it friable. It passes through the gut of innumerable earthworms and those castings become soil. And even a poor soil consists of some extraordinary alchemical potion made up of many tangible pieces of the organic world. It's like those kind of little things are like just taking something that's just there all the time, so often taken for granted and really like, oh my goodness, all of this stuff has to occur and be a part of it for this thing to even exist. And wow, yeah, that is kind of magical. That is like the alchemy of nature. It's like an, like an object in your house that you don't even think about, but then you find out that in order to create this object, was some extraordinary process and you're like wow that object looks different now maybe i should like not put my extra change in seeing it, it in a new light <laughs> yeah yeah so oh that dish is actually worth a million dollars maybe oh my i should gosh, like, my pennies in it <laughs> so so even when i was thinking okay like i see the natural world i see it i can you know but then she hits me with this Thing about soil and i'm like oh shit i'm looking at soil i gotta look closer so yeah. and then the and 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 then on the bigger scale of like the forest she says consider the magic inherent in the forest world magic that comes down to us through folk and fairy tales there's always more to the forest than meets the eye from the canopy above to the mycelium layer in the soil there are so many things unseen and so many possibilities for magic and for danger. And she kind of wraps up, well, I mean, we'll wrap up the concept of the, the sense of place with her quote where she says, this old land is filled with liminal places and gives rise to ballads and tales. In these pages, we work through our harsh and complicated history on the strings of a fiddle and the stitches of a quilt made of scraps and with words on paper each one of us as liminal as the hedgerow with complicated histories and tattered souls. So then it's kind of like a nice pairing of all of the different little pieces and ways that humans contribute to that bigger picture. Cause sometimes I think you end up in this situation where it's like, yeah, the humanity could do with a good dose of nature awe 
But yeah. if you get if you get stuck in the nature awe to the point that you're just gonna like completely dis humanity in a way, then it's like you're not recognizing again that word she used interdependence, where it's like, well, what do we have to contribute back into it? That's mm -hmm. the thing. Instead of just taking and taking and taking how do we actually fit into the whole wheel of life <laughs> mechanism, you know, because we're part of it too, you know, and we have, we have just as much ability to be part of that alchemical process as the earthworm does, you know, and we're not any better and they're not any better. It's all part of that same uh, contributing effort to, to keep life sustained on this rock. <laughs> Throughout the book, you know, the, the fact that the land is important, and the people are important and they're important to each other. The land has been through a lot and so has the people. So they're just sort of like, it's like we're in this together where you have these shared histories and, and I think it just sort of knits the two together. Well, I mean, she's certainly invested in, in the sense of place of where she's from, but I think that's important to consider, you know, for anyone. Like, you yeah. know, I, I used to like, uh, Maybe it's because my ancestral line is scattered to the four winds. I don't know. But I used to just like be like, I need to go. But I didn't know where I was going. And I, you know, I traveled around the country and never found like, oh, yes, this is the place to land. And then the next thing I know, I came full circle back to my home state. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, like, but but the point is like you can. Every place is a place, you know, yeah. I mean, like you. You, there's something to be tapped into. It's just a matter of, of looking and, and finding it. And yeah, I ended up full circle, but, but what I know now is that anywhere that I had landed, um, if I would have invested myself into it, um, I could have, I could have made the house a home, so to speak. I could have put roots down and I could have, um, I could have found that sense of place. Um, because it has a lot more to do with what, how we sink our roots in and what we give back to where we are and what we learn from where we are if we're paying close enough attention, you know. So that being said, everybody doesn't have to flock here. Oh, <laughs> um, we have some we have backyard and figure out what the history is, you know. <laughs> At least let me have a house. Just save <laughs> a house for me and my cat. <laughs> And my husband that we can afford okay like that's that's the magic we need to work right now just like 30 minutes out of town that's fine just you know just something that's affordable, affordable and not falling down and things we might want in it like a dishwasher and a bathtub and all stuff. okay all stuff. But, you know um everyone can visit but yeah, I lived I lived actually on the coast of North Carolina for a couple of years and I also really fell in love with that area. So and I never lived on the beach and never grew, I didn't grow up on the beach and I was just like, you oh, know, sometimes I miss it. Sometimes I miss yeah. the beach. The area, the the way that the the wind always blows and just the saltiness and the just the I don't know, just just And that's cool you got that experience too because I hate to say it, but probably sometime in our lifetime, a good majority, if not all of those outer banks aren't going to exist anymore. Yeah. So the fact that you got to live on them and really immerse yourself is like a little piece of history that, you know, 
you might, you know, sooner or later people won't be able to have anymore. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty sad, but it also means that, Hey, the beach might be in Raleigh. <laughs> um, be closer to get be closer. Okay. Sorry. That's, that's a real weird way of looking at Glass it. half full. Glass half mm -hmm. full. There we go. Um, hopefully we won't get there. Um, but I really want to speak to this connecting with place because actually I feel like, because I was thinking, well, maybe it's just me in this place. We connected so strongly, but then I connected to the beach. And then also like I was in Texas with my parents for four months and I really did connect with Texas, which is really weird because I never thought I would do that. But like, you know, in Texas is this big, big sky. The sky is the big thing, you know, it's like, and then instead of the mountains, so like it just really captures you. You're like, oh wow. <laughs> um, so I think that yeah, there's there's a sense of place everywhere. It's, it goes back to where you you're connecting with nature, whether you live in the yeah. city or you, live, you, have you, to, live. you have to you have to you have to make that choice to engage, and then you're like, oh. Wow, here I am. <laughs> this is a way of looking at things. And I think that like, we're not often taught that we don't know how to see the, the, wor the world. But I, again, like I keep coming back to West, Western North Carolina, I keep coming back here. I've, I've, you know, and I feel like, I do feel like this place is, is, is more important to me personally than like the other places. Like it's grabbed, it's grabbed me. Um, and it's adopted me and says, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> okay, give me a house then. Come on. <laughs> so cool. You had a really good, you had a really good um, thing to wrap it up with, which was coincidentally how she wrapped up the book. So. Yes, this is from the conclusion. I hope this book has gone a ways to help the reader understand and appreciate the ways that we've practiced for many generations ways with food, music, homesteading, and magic. There's much more to know, of course. We merely brush the surface of so many things, and I hope your natural curiosity will lead you down the rabbit holes that hold the most interest for you. And I hope that you have learned the, of the land and the diverse folks who dwell here in body or in spirit. So I thought that was really uh, a really great way to, to wrap it up. I guess that is that concludes our discussion on um, roots branches and spirit hope you everyone i hope everyone out there enjoyed it yeah have any questions or comments or anything you can um if you're watching this on youtube please leave it in the comment section down below and i believe you can also email us um at uh, stories for the earth at gmail.com we are gonna have byron ballard on so it'll be our next yeah it'll be our next Interview. Well, no, the next, uh, well, coming up immediately next is um, we will be welcoming uh, special musical guests. Wait, are we so doing our, Holy so, River next? Uh-huh, yep. Oh, they I got are, confused. Uh, <laughs> that episode will air on the 21st, Wednesday the 21st. Um, so Holy River is a really great uh, earth-centered sort of folk music duo. Um, and they will grace us with some of their lovely sounds um, for the story portion of our monthly um, 
our monthly podcasting. And then Byron Ballard will be filling the interview portion of our, yeah. On the 28th. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we'll get a chance to talk with her about maybe a little bit more background of all of her books and her work in general and what she else she would like to share regarding this new publication and maybe get her to answer some questions from our curiosity. The inquiring minds want to know. We're going to dive. We're going to dive deep. It's going to be, it's going to be meaty because that's what we do here. (laughs) Meaty. We we try to be like, we try to be surface, but no, we're just, okay. I'm, I'm babbling now. Um, (laughs) But it's pretty exciting. This is, this is, this is some big, some big stuff coming down the pipe. Yes, I'm excited. I'm nervous, but I am thrilled that um, I'm thrilled to have both Holy River and Byron Ballard on our Byron Ballard on our little little podcast here, and it's um, yeah, it's really exciting. Thank you for watching. Please check us out on Anchor. Um, if you'd like to support us, you can hit the support button on Anchor for a dollar, five dollars, or ten dollars a month, which will help us greatly after COVID where we can take this little podcast on the road and um, really be able to um, explore outside the region. So we're really excited about that. And we have uh, Instagram. We have a Facebook group. We have the YouTube channel. And then of course we're on Anchor. So all those links are either in the show notes or down below if you're watching our beautiful faces on YouTube episodes come out on the second third and fourth wednesday of every month well we'll see you guys next time get ready to hear thanks some awesome for joining stuff. us yes thanks for joining us go go dabble in some folk ways and witchery now yes that link will also be in the description so if you want to check out this book here roots branches and spirits and all other byron's books i'll put links um I'll put links to Amazon. I'll put links to our fabulous local bookstore if you want to support local bookstores. And then um, maybe if I can find a used copy of her out-of-print book, I'll also put a link to that. So you can um, go down the rabbit hole. Oh, and also I want to put uh, some, like, interviews that she's done before um, down there, too. So if you really, really want to dig deep. (laughs) Yeah, and her own podcast, for that matter. Right. I forgot Byron has a podcast too. So that'll go also on the link. So lots of, lots of stuff. And you can do some preliminary research and be ready for the interview um, coming up. So. And as a, and as a closing regional colloquialism, I'll just say that if none of this interests you, if it's just past, past the point of registering in your mind and you're just like, Oh, these, crazy hill folks and da 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 well all i can say is bless your heart bless your heart that's right (laughs) catch you next time everybody okay bye